If you have your Bible with you this morning, you can open it to Acts chapter 28. Just a few weeks left now in the book of Acts. I'm not sure exactly where we're going after Acts, uh, but you might want to read Joshua. (laughs) On the other hand, you might want to read Leviticus. I don't know, but uh, Joshua is a great book. This week, we're in Acts chapter 28. We're going to look at verses 1 through 15. That's our text. The topic, Paul shakes off a deadly Maltese viper that has fastened itself to his hand. The title of our message, The Maltese Fasten. What? How many of you have heard of the movie, The Maltese Falcon? Raise your hand. All right, enough of you. All right, the rest of you are uncultured barbarians, as we'll see in our study today. It's only the number 23 on AFI's list of the top 100 movies of all time. Then you would know that. Uh, Acts 28, beginning in verse 1. Now when they had escaped, they found out that the island was called Malta. And the natives showed us unusual kindness, for they kindled a fire and made us all welcome because of the rain that was falling and because of the cold. But when Paul had gathered a bundle of sticks and laid them on the fire, a viper came out and because of the heat and fastened on his hand. So when the natives saw the creature hanging from his hand, they said to one another, no doubt this man is a murderer whom though he has escaped the sea, yet justice does not allow to live. But he shook off the creature into the fire and suffered no harm. However, they were expecting he would swell up or suddenly fall down dead. But after they had looked for a long time and saw no harm come to him, they changed their minds and said that he was a god. In that region, there was an estate of the leading citizen of the island, whose name was Publius, who received us and entertained us courteously for three days. And it happened that the father of Publius lay sick of a fever and dysentery. Paul went in to him and prayed, and he laid his hands on him and healed him. So when this was done, the rest of those on the island who had diseases also came and were healed. They also honored us in many ways, and when we departed, they provided such things as were necessary. After three months, we sailed in an Alexandrian ship whose figurehead was the twin brothers, which had wintered at the island. Landing at Syracuse, we stayed three days. From there, we circled round and reached Regium, and after one day, the south wind blew, and the next day, we came to Puteoli where we found brethren and were invited to stay with them seven days. And so we went toward Rome. And from there, when the brethren heard about us, they came to meet us as far as the Appi Forum and three inns. And when Paul saw them, he thanked God and took courage. Let's pray together. Father, we pray that you would attend our study this morning and that by the power of your Holy Spirit, you would reveal great and wonderful things truths that will sustain us today and tomorrow and until you come and then on into eternity. You would show us uh, things about your love for us, your character, your grace, things that we maybe already know but haven't seen as clearly before, maybe some things that we don't know, and that it would all come together in such a way as to inspire us, Lord, to love you more and more and that that love would spill out of our lives into the lives of others. We thank you and praise you in Jesus' name. And everyone said, amen. The headline read, 
Drought Driving Deadly Snakes into Australian Cities. The article was dated January 10th of this year, and it read in part, Australia's harsh drought is driving venomous snakes into urban areas in search of moisture, resulting in an increasing number of attacks on people. If you are planning a trip to Australia, it might be a good idea to know what to do if you are bitten by a venomous snake. Don't do what one man did. I quote, a man was having a few beers with his mate while driving home. Along the side of the road, he spotted a king brown snake and decided to catch it. As his right hand was being used to hold his beer, he grabbed it with his left and was subsequently bitten. He threw the snake in a plastic bag, but for some reason then decided to stick his hand into the bag and was duly bitten another eight times. As the poison went to work, his mate applied first aid by pouring beer over his head and whacking him across the face. It wasn't an effective treatment as he ended up in a coma for six weeks. His left arm withered and died and had to be amputated. On the positive side, he still kept the use of his right arm for holding beer in the future. True story. The Apostle Paul never made it to Australia, but he was bitten by a poisonous snake on the island of Malta. His first aid was to simply shake it off and go on gathering sticks for the fire. Obviously, God miraculously healed him from the effects of the viper's venom. The entire episode on Malta proves Jesus' statement in the Gospel of Mark. Jesus said, they will take up serpents, and if they drink anything deadly, it will by no means hurt them. They will lay hands on the sick, and they will recover. Mark 16, verse 18. If you are ever snake bit while serving the Lord, it would be a good idea to have that promise memorized. The truth is, you are in danger every day of being snake bit while serving the Lord. First of all, your spiritual adversary, the devil, is described as a serpent, Revelation chapter 20, verse 2. And secondly, his followers were called by both Jesus and John the Baptist a brood of vipers, Matthew chapter 3 and Matthew chapter 23. The world is thus a dangerous place where you are surrounded by vipers. If you serve the Lord, you will get bit. I'll organize my thoughts around two points. Number one, when you are snake bit serving the Lord, shake it off. And number two, when you are snake bit serving the Lord, shake things up. First of all, let's look in verses one through six where we learn to shake it off. The storm put Paul's life at risk. Just as he was about to survive the storm, the soldiers wanted to kill him along with the other prisoners. Saved by the centurion, a deadly poisonous snake bit him. Paul was having a bad day. After a snake bite, you're supposed to be kept immobilized to halt the progress of the venom. Paul had no time to be immobilized. He was too busy serving God. He shook off the snake and went on with his work which was first to gather sticks and later to heal everyone who was sick on the island of Malta. Our adversary, the devil, that serpent of old, wants to stop us from sharing the Lord with others. He wants to stop us from touching others with the gifts and ministries we've been entrusted with. He designs dangers and discouragements in the midst of our serving. We can compare them to being bitten. He does it in order to immobilize us. 
Uh, oftentimes when we're serving the Lord and something negative happens, some, some uh, trial comes or we're spoken ill of or any of these numbers of things, our first reaction is to quit, to become immobile in our service. We must understand that the proper first aid for a spiritual snake bite is to go on serving, not to become immobilized. In the spiritual realm, being immobilized only allows the poison to work faster. Think about getting bit by discouragement, which is something that we all face if we serve the Lord. There's, there's just, discouragement I think is one of the primary foes that we face. If you're, in a sense, bit by discouragement, let's say discouragement is that snake that has fastened itself to you. If, if you don't shake it off and go on serving the Lord, if you become immobile, it continues to poison you and poison you and poison you until you draw farther and farther and farther away from serving the Lord. And so we need to learn from Paul that we can shake off the enemy. And so let's take a look again in verse one. Now when they had escaped, they found that the island was called Malta and the natives showed us unusual kindness for they kindled a fire and they made us all welcome because of the rain that was falling and because of the cold. The King James Version of the Bible calls the island by its ancient name, Melita. It's where coffee filters were invented. It could be, what do you know? But uh, I doubt it, tell you the truth. It is known to us as Malta. And it's really a series of islands in the Mediterranean Sea about 58 miles south of the center of the world, Sicily. <laughs> also in the, new, or excuse me, in the King James Version of the Bible, the natives are referred to as barbarous people or barbarians. Anyone who did not speak Greek was called a barbarian. And so these are not native headhunters. You know, it isn't some kind of an undiscovered tribe. These are uh, sophisticated people, but they uh, were native to Malta. They didn't speak Greek, and so the cultured Greek people thought of them as barbarians. Uh, now, you know, I, I really I relate to this uh, personally, and I think we can corporately because we're, we're kind of a simple congregation, aren't we? Just simple, straightforward folk here in the really the heart of the world, Central California, uh, you know. Uh, and, and, and there are cultured people in different places that think of us as kind of barbarians because we, you know, we're just simple, straightforward people. And, and uh, of course, you know, so, because we don't speak the kind of language of the world that, that other people speak. And so that's kind of the situation. And they're just normal folk that live on Malta. Uh, and they readily come to the aid of the shipwreck survivors. They're good people. Verse three, when Paul had gathered a bundle of sticks and laid them on the fire, a viper came out and because of the heat, fastened on his hand. Kudos to Paul for helping gather sticks. He had just survived a shipwreck. You'd think no less of him if he huddled by the fire and let the natives tend the fire. I mean, think of Paul, all that he had just been through for two weeks on this voyage, shipwreck, washed ashore, soaking wet, it's still raining, I mean, if you had seen him and just saw him draw close to that fire shivering, you'd have thought no less of him. But you know what? I was thinking about that, and we, th we should think less of him if he just wanted to sit there by the fire. Because Jesus once said he came to serve and not to be served. 
Paul said, I follow Christ, you follow me. So a person like that, you don't expect them to be huddled around the fire while others are doing work. He wasn't doing it grudgingly. He was doing it gladly and gratefully. And we should follow his example. We should always be looking for ways to serve even when others are serving us. I know that, you know, sometimes people say, you know, I just need to, I just need to sit and get ministered to. And, and you know, there's, there's a time and a place for that. I don't begrudge anybody for that. But there's a sense in which we, you know, we, we really find ourselves, the Lord says, when we lose ourselves. We find our life when we lose our life. And I think what we need to do most and more is serve others rather than receive for ourselves. And in the serving, there is such a blessing and such an anointing and such an empowering that so often what we thought we needed, it turns out is not a need at all. It was some kind of selfish desire that we had. And really what we needed to do was pour out and pour out and be used of the Lord. And so Paul, tremendous example. I mean, I'm telling you right now that, that I've been in situations, not you know serious situations like a shipwreck, but where I just want, okay, I'm just so happy to sit by this fire and let others serve, when in reality, we should be like Jesus, as Jake mentioned earlier, and get up and wash some feet, even if you're not supposed to, even if you're not the one. Look for a way to serve others, and the Lord will empower you. Now, when I lived in the foothills of Southern California, I was always finding rattlesnakes lying dormant in wood piles during cold weather. It, it just, uh, scary. You know, we'd be playing base. We live in the foothills, and you'd hit your baseball, and you'd go grab your ball. And why we had miscellaneous wood piles, I don't know. I, get rid of your wood piles now, you know, or fumigate them. Or just, they're dangerous places. There's always some kind of beastie or varmint living in your wood pile. You hear it. You walk by at night, and you're, ch -ch 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 -ch. Oh, I wonder what that is. You know, you're freaked out. And, uh, but, you know, we, so rattles, we had rattlesnakes down there. And this one time, you know, my ball was there, and I picked it up, and I mean, the rattlesnake was right there coiled up, but it was cold and wintry, and so he didn't find me an appealing bite, uh, and so I got away with that. But uh, I don't ever want to be that close to a rattlesnake again. And so Paul, same situation, the native snakes here, and, and it was wintertime, obviously, in the storm, and, and the snake was hiding in this bundle of sticks, and as Paul grabbed the sticks, it came out of the fire and fastened, it said, onto his hand. I mean, so, I mean, it really took hold and was just biting him. I'd have really been bummed if I was Paul. I mean, that would have been the last straw for me. Lord, shipwreck. Soldiers are trying to kill me. Now I've got this stinking snake hanging on my hand. What did I do to deserve this? But really, it was to be expected. The more you serve, the more you will be in danger of being bitten. Listen, if you want to avoid the serpent, then never pick up any sticks. Never help kindle a fire. Just sit back and enjoy the warmth. Let others take the risks. Let others take the risks. And then think, hey, that was such a neat fire. I don't know what went into making that fire. I don't know what happens behind the scenes of that fire. It was just really this, such a warm glow. And, and well, none of us want to do that. We don't, we don't want to just receive, do we? We want to give. And so get involved. Take some risks, but know that you're going to get bit. Verse 4. So when the natives saw the creature hanging from his hand, they said to one another, no doubt this man is a murderer 
whom though he has escaped the sea, yet justice does not allow to live. You know, there's a whole separate study here just on the, um, the conscience that God puts into all men everywhere. Even though these were pagan natives who had never heard about Jesus Christ, they understood that there was justice in the universe. There was good and there was evil. There was right and there was wrong. They didn't have their bearings right, you know, about it in, in a correct manner, but, but they had an innate sense that evil things should be punished and good things should be rewarded and that in the end, all of that's going to work out. Uh, and so God is not without some testimony everywhere. Now, the natives... These people, they seem superstitious to us, and I say seem because really their thinking is not very different from ours, even though we would not think of ourselves as superstitious. Of course, we're scientific, we're advanced. However, we too have a natural tendency to think that God will bless those he is pleased with and that he will try those he is displeased with. Sometimes in our own lives, if a trial comes, our first thought is, what did I do wrong to deserve this? Uh, and we have to run to the, uh, the epistles where we learn that we're not to think it's strange when a trial comes, but to consider it all joy, knowing that God is completing the work that he has begun in us. But we, we have this tendency to think that somebody who's struggling, they're probably getting what they deserve. There's some secret sin that we don't know about. And in a sense, it's no different than their natural superstition. We need to rise above this and understand that God is good and he is bigger than this and that he is working all things together for good. In verse five, he shook off the creature into the fire and suffered no harm. Paul's reaction is so nonchalant. I mean, you have to notice this. As I said earlier, he didn't scream for help. He didn't try to identify the snake to see if it was poisonous or not. He didn't seek out the advice of the natives. He didn't scream on the spiritual side, why God, I can't take any more of this. Can't you see I'm serving you? He didn't look at those sitting by the fire and saying, you lazy bums, if you had gathered the wood, this wouldn't have happened to me. Uh, he didn't do any of that. He just went about his business, oh wow there's a probably poisonous viper attached to my hand. I should shake that off and go about my work. And I just, I, I think there's something about nonchalance that is spiritual. I mean, Paul, in the shipwreck, uh, you know, in the storm rather first, very nonchalant. Hey, you guys, uh, excuse me, should have listened to me. But uh, last night, an angel of the Lord stood by me, and here's the deal. Here's what's going to happen, so let's get on with it. Oh, excuse me, Mr. Centurion, if those sailors are successful in launching the skiff, we're all going to die. So you might want to do something about that. Then the soldiers, they're, they're wanting to kill all the prisoners so that they don't have to account for them. And, and Paul's like, well, you know, I, I don't think that's going to happen because God promised me I was going to preach at Rome, not just get to Rome in a body bag. And now he's on shore and he's bit by a snake. I would be freaking out. And he's like, ooh, shakes it off and just goes about his business. We need to become more nonchalant. We need to understand that things happen when we're serving the Lord and we need to go on serving him. And so he shook it off and went about the business of serving others. Verse six, however, 
they were expecting that he would swell up or suddenly fall down dead. But after they had looked for a long time, saw no harm come to him, they changed their minds and said that he was a god. It's all kind of comically morbid, really. I guess there were no firemen or EMTs in this crowd because no one seemed to rush to his aid. They just maybe started forward and then when he shook off the snake, he didn't do anything, he didn't scream or he went around and they thought, well, let's just wait. Maybe he's a murderer and needs to die. And so there's a bunch of people just watching Paul. Is that, does that look like swelling to you? Looks like a little redness on his head. No, I don't see anything. Do you see anything? By now he should be puffed out. Remember Jack, when he got bit by this thing, you know, and stuff. And, and I mean, just these guys, these guys are familiar. They know what happens, you know, when, when, when somebody gets bit. And so they waited a substantial amount of time, and they thought, well, he didn't swell up and he didn't die. He's not a murderer. He's a god. And again, uh, we chuckle at their superstition. We never think anyone is a god. But in a sense, we do, in our culture, idolize the wrong people for the wrong reasons. We, we don't, you know, we're not worshiping them as gods, but we do idolize the wrong people. Uh, you know, if, if you're raising children, you know this is a problem you want them to have as their heroes, uh, you know, Christian missionaries, you know, as opposed to sports heroes, you know, that kind of a thing. And, and so, uh, you know, it, it, you know it's, there's not worship going on. Although it'd be interesting, I always thought, you know, I, I like it when, when uh, historians and anthropologists, they find these ancient cultures and then they try and figure out what happened there. I wonder what people would have thought or would think, you know, if let's say our culture fails and a thousand years from now they dig up a teenager's bedroom. And, and find posters on the wall and stuff like, you know, and so would they, wouldn't they conclude that, that, that these people worshiped this individual? You know, I've seen this poster in several different locations, you know, so this, this person must be a god to them. And so it's just very interesting. So superstition, it's just part of who we are, I think. Now, we've gotten to the snake bite. He shook it off. Let's apply these things devotionally. People's lives are eventually shipwrecked. Some of you, if you became a Christian later in your life, you know what I'm talking about. You, you, you washed up on shore somewhere. Your life was a mess. And you washed up on shore. It, it was a church or a Christian's living room or some Christian that you were working with or going to school with. You, you arrive washed up on shore, barely alive. And you need the warmth of the fire of God's love and His grace and His mercy. We, as Christians, have the awesome privilege of gathering bundles of sticks to stoke that fire. No matter what your particular ministry is, it contributes to a blaze and the subsequent warmth that reveals Jesus Christ serving that person by coming to die for them and rising from the dead and offering them eternal life. When you are gathering sticks, you risk getting bit. It can come in many forms. It can be misunderstanding, it can be slander, there can be accusations. As I mentioned earlier, your own discouragement can fasten upon you and inject a deadly poison. The list of potential serpents and their bites is pretty long. Each of you could make your own list and we could put them together and there's just a lot of different ways that the enemy comes against us 
always seeking to immobilize us, to get us to quit serving the Lord and feel sorry for ourselves. And as, as a result of it, you know, if enough of us quit serving the Lord, then there's not gonna be much of a fire kindled when these poor folk wash up on shore and are looking to be warmed, are looking to be illuminated. It, it, there's not gonna be much of a fire. And so we need to shake it off and keep serving. There are too many people who need to have the fire kindled for us to be looking inward. We need to be looking outward. There is no time, especially in these last days, for us to become immobilized. We need to keep serving the Lord. In verses seven through 15, when you are snake bit serving the Lord, shake things up. God's miraculous preservation of Paul opened a door for him to minister in a remarkable way. In that region, verse seven, there was an estate of the leading citizen of the island whose name was Publius, who received us and entertained us courteously for three days. And it happened that the father of Publius lay sick of a fever and dysentery. Paul went into him and prayed and he laid his hands on him and healed him. Paul had used his hands to gather sticks. Now he was using them to heal the sick. His hands belonged to Jesus and the Lord used them to serve his purposes in both circumstances. On the beach, the great need was for fire. In the estate of Publius, the great need was for healing. We should not elevate one over the other. Obviously, it seems to us that healing someone is far more profound than just helping kindle a fire, but uh, at the time, you need the fire. Paul didn't wash up and say, wow, okay, guys, I just want you to know that I'm here and I have the gift of healing. And so if you know of anybody or if any of you, maybe you, uh, if you're gathering sticks and you get bit by a viper, I'm here for you, man. I'll lay hands on you and heal you, uh, but that's my gift. Uh, I don't do fires, uh, you know. So, you know, as soon as you need some healing, maybe an evangelistic crusade, I'm your man. In the meantime, I, I think some of these other guys are gifted to pick up sticks. Uh, Paul didn't do that. Paul assessed the situation, well, probably didn't even assess the situation, but from our point of view, he assessed the situation and he said, I'm gonna help gather sticks because what? That's what Jesus would do. That's what a Christian does. This is the need right now. There are people, yes, myself included, but there are people who are suffering and struggling and need this one. So the great need right now is for this. And, and that gets into, you know, all of us have gifts that the Lord has given us talents and abilities. And God definitely wants us to use them and he wants us to grow in our understanding of them and all of that. Uh, but we can't just do the things that we feel we're gifted to do all the time. We have to just generally be servants. And God will allow us to do those other things. And, and so we need to change our thinking. If any of us think this way, that, hey, this is my gift, okay, that's great, but what needs to be done right now? We'll get to that. You know, after you kindle the fire and everybody's dry and you get kind of going, maybe there's some need for the gift of healing and maybe you can teach some Bible studies, but right now that's not what we need. A lot of times this happens when you uh, move out of the area, go to a new church. And... Um, the body of Christ, of course, it's all one. But that particular local body, they may not need the exact gifts that you think you have. 
Maybe they have plenty of people doing what you are gifted to do. And if God has led you there, maybe he wants to gift you in a new way or use you in some other way. So we just need to be open to the fact that we are servants and we serve. Offer yourself to God a living sacrifice. Give him your hands and everything attached to them. Don't despise even the smallest service if it is done as unto the Lord. Now, if you're going to lay hands on someone and ask God to heal them, make sure your hands are soiled from much mundane serving, serving that no one sees or applauds. If the person you lay hands on isn't healed, then it was God's will that they be blessed by the love and grace and mercy of his touch through you. Paul shook things up on Malta for the next three months. In verse 9, it says, so when this was done, the rest of those on the island who had diseases also came and were healed. Shipwreck, soldiers, the snake, all of it could now be put into perspective. The devil meant it for evil, but God overruled it for his good. All things work together for good. Our problem is we haven't gotten to the end of the story yet. We're called upon to believe by faith that all things really are being worked together by God for good. It's so hard when bad things happen to good people or when bad things happen to God's people, it's really, really hard to say all things work together for good because we can't, can't see the end. And, and sometimes we try to see the end of it. Oh, this happened and now this is gonna, I get it, thanks, Lord. All right, all right. I got sick so you could heal me. You're such a good God and then you don't get healed. Uh, God, excuse me? And, and, and so it's, it's difficult sometimes for us. But it's not hard to believe when you remember God is good and that he loves you and will complete the work he has begun in you. Shipwrecks and soldiers and snake bites tend to hold our attention more than they should. As I said, we need to have a little more nonchalance and do a lot more serving. If Paul the Apostle, he didn't like them, but he expected shipwrecks. He'd already been in three. This was at least his fourth. He didn't ex- like, like it that people were trying to kill him all the time, but they were. He expected it. So much so that he'd go in front of an angry mob, share the gospel. If they kill me, they kill me. They're going to kill me now. They're going to kill me later. At least I'm going to share. The, at least I have a captive audience, as it were. I'll go down preaching. Snake bites, that's kind of new. That's a new one, uh, but why not? For one thing, it's not uncommon in their culture to be bit by a snake. I mean, you don't have to be a servant of the Lord to get bit by a snake just because he's serving the Lord and gets bit. I mean, Paul just had the attitude that I belong to God, my body belongs to God, I offer it as a living sacrifice. If he thinks it should be filled with snake venom, If I should puff up and die, great, I'll go for it because to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. But if he heals me or whatever, so I'm just gonna shake this off and see what happens. And really that's the kernel of truth this morning. Shake it off. So often we concentrate on it. Oh, I'm in a a storm, such a terrible storm. My ship is going to, it's stuck in the ground and it's, it's breaking apart or I've been snake bit somehow, and uh, we just need to shake that off and keep moving. Now, the remaining verses wrap up the stay on Malta. They get Paul 
going to Rome. Verse 10, they also honored us in many ways. And when we departed, they provided such things as were necessary. After three months, we sailed on an Alexandrian ship whose figurehead was the twin brothers, which had wintered at the island. And landing at Syracuse, we stayed three days. From there, we circled round and reached Regium. After one day, the south wind blew, and the next day we came to Puteoli, where we found brethren and were invited to stay with them seven days. And so we went toward Rome. And from there, when the brethren heard about us, they came to meet us as far as Appi Forum and three inns. When Paul saw them, he thanked God and took courage. Wintering on Malta was an unexpected blessing for Paul and Luke and Aristarchus. It gave them a three-month healing ministry that they wouldn't have ordinarily had. And the text doesn't say that anybody got saved, but I, I think you, we can infer that Paul was also preaching the gospel. And we know that the gospel, uh, you know, in, the writers of the gospel say that signs and wonders follow the preaching of the gospel. And I'm assuming that a lot of people got saved on Malta. And so they wintered here. If you've been blown off course by some storm, then it's time for looking, uh, to look for unexpected blessings. The twin brothers mentioned here are Castor and Pollux. They're the patron gods of mariners. And this is a reminder that even the most remarkable spiritual events are quickly overlooked by the world. The people in the world, they just want to get back to their sad, normal existence. Sailors on this second Alexandrian ship would certainly have heard the story of Paul's voyage and the shipwreck and the time spent on Malta. Two Alexandrian ships, probably in the same fleet, or at least they knew each other. What happened to that first vessel? I mean, it's not like they had, you know, mass communication or anything. Everybody wondering. They finally discover that the vessel had wrecked on Malta, 276 souls aboard, all of them alive. How's that even possible? This is a big sailing story. This is like a big fish story. Do you know what I mean? I mean, this is big. And, and, and people like to tell stories and embellish them. And, and so they would have known this. And after having heard all of that, okay, great. But we're guarded by Castor and Pollux, the patrons, you know, gods of, of the sea. Uh, rather than, you know, just, hey, hack off that figurehead and put a cross up there. You know, I mean, because that's who's really going to protect you. And so no matter how much we serve the Lord, no matter how miraculous it even is, the results are not ours. It's up to the Lord. And, and, and some people's hearts are just very hard. Uh, and it's a lesson that we need to learn early on because in the rest of society, we're kind of results-oriented. I mean, if your business isn't making money, it's losing money. If it loses enough money, it fails and you're out of work. Uh, if you go to school and don't get passing grades, you're in trouble. And so we're always looking at the end result. In the ministry, the end result is to bring glory to Jesus Christ. It's not the result that I think it is. It's not the multiple conversions. It's not all of the, that can happen, it may not happen. Paul in another place said, sometimes we're like a smell of life to people who are perishing. Other times, we just are a smell of death to them. But in all of it, we're a sweet fragrance to the Lord. And so my service is as unto the Lord. Serve as unto the Lord and leave the results to him. Would Paul have had the ministry of healing on Malta if he had never gotten snake bit? We really can't say one way or the other. We, we can't make that leap. 
We do know that he was snake bit while busy serving the Lord, that he was able to shake it off, and then he went on to shake things up. And that's the model that we want to have. Gather a bundle of sticks, kindle the fire, provide the love and the light that people need. Whatever your ministry is, whatever your gifting is, whatever your talents are that you want to give to the Lord, that's what it amounts to. In a spiritual sense, you're, you're a person that's gathering sticks at a particular time in a particular place to provide the warmth and the illumination of the fire of God's love and word for others to be ministered to. Your hands are God's hands and he wants to work through them. They're going to get dirty. Sometimes they're gonna get bit, but you need to go forward in the energy and the empowering of Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for these things. We desire to be a people uh, that can shake off adversity, that can shake off our trials, uh, these kinds of situations, and keep moving, keep pressing forward so that others will see you and us and come to know you and save, uh, be saved, Lord, from perishing eternally, so that other Christians, Lord, would be emboldened and strengthened to live a life that is pleasing to you. And so, uh, Lord, thank you for the Apostle Paul, for his life. Uh, you know, we're not called to be missionaries in the sense that he was, and, and the things that happened to him and in his life are remarkable, uh, but they're not that much different they're just, than our lives. They're just on a, a bigger scale. I've been snake bit, Lord. Anybody here that served the Lord has been snake bit. They've suffered some slander, some accusation that's false. Uh, maybe they're discouraged even now. And Lord, I know that natural tendency to quit and to turn away from the very people that are doing those kinds of things that you've called us to serve. And Lord, I see that that would be just the wrong attitude altogether because we're not serving them, we're serving you. We're serving you, Lord. And the only thing that really matters is the state of my heart before you. And uh, Lord, if you deem it necessary for me to be caught uh, in a storm or for my ship to be wrecked in a sense or for a snake to bite me, Lord, then uh, be it as unto you. You give, you take away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Give us a tougher mind and a more tender heart towards others, Lord. Tough when it comes to what's happening in our own lives. Tender towards others so that we might reach out and touch them with your love. That there would be a warmth and a glow that comes from us, Lord, because we're gathering sticks, as it were, and providing that fire for others. Jesus, you left heaven and came to earth to be others oriented to serve the entire human race by giving your life as a ransom for all, by providing the payment by your blood for the sin of the human race. You rose from the dead and are in heaven now and you give that same resurrection power to us to be able to lose our lives that we might gain them. We pray all these things, Lord, would be true of us and that we be grateful in giving you the glory. And we pray in Jesus' name, amen. Let's stand together. Sign up for the men's conference. Uh, we need to know how many guys are coming. Bring your sons and just have a neat spiritual day. Give them that example of what's important to you and what's ultimately important. 
and that is just spending time with the Lord, learning about the Lord, and becoming a, a person of character. Uh, it's just going to be a great time. Uh, parenting class, if you, there's still room in there, sign up, fill out the bulletin, or you can email us, and we'll look forward to seeing you next Sunday evening uh, at 6 on that. The guys are up here to pray with you, and so if there's something on your heart uh, or someone on your heart that uh, you want prayed for, come forward, and they'll be happy to do that. Uh, cafe is hopping over there. Uh, grab something to eat or drink, and uh, stick around. As, as always, we like you to meet somebody that you've never met before and show that kind of hospitality uh, that marks us as Christians. May God bless you in Jesus' name. Amen.